Welcome to the Juggling Without Balls podcast. My name is Monica Parkin and I am your host. And every week on the show, I'm going to be talking to powerful, successful women who juggle it all. And when I say juggle it all, I mean everything. Kids, health, aged parents, careers, relationships, you name it, we're going to talk about it. So stick around, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a seat and enjoy the show. Hello, jugglers, and welcome to our next episode. It's my pleasure to welcome my guest, Karen McKinnon. Karen juggles being a successful photographer and owner of McKinnon Photography, with also being the Director of Family Services for Habitat for Humanity North Island. She's also involved in numerous nonprofits in the Comox Valley community. I know she has some great systems and strategies in place to manage all of this, and I'm really looking forward to hearing more about them and hearing her story. Welcome, Karen. Okay. Welcome to the show, Karen. I'm super excited to have you here just for all the guests out there. I've known Karen for so many years and I wanted to pick her brain for a long time because she's one of those uh, super busy people. I hate to use the word busy, but I know she's busy and I know she's got some really good tricks for keeping her life focused and organized. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me here. You're welcome. I'm super excited. I know you first and foremost as a photographer. People know you for a lot of different roles. I think you play a lot of different roles in the community. But what initially led you into photography? Were you inspired by someone? Is it what you always wanted to do? What got you there? Monica, it's a cliche story uh, that I'd love to share with you. So my mom's a professional photographer. And I first picked up my camera when I was in grade five. And my mom taught a class in my elementary school. Now, my mom is a different type of photographer than me, and she's uh, in her 80s, and she's still a photographer. She's what I call a rock and fern photographer. So she's a nature photographer and doesn't photograph people. But she introduced me to the medium as a way of having a compassionate and curious eye, and that's going to extend you know, beyond the camera. I tried numerous times to follow different paths. I went to school to be an outdoor rec leader. I quit. I went to school to be a calculus instructor. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Can we just stop there for one second? Okay. So calculus instructor, photographer, to me, they just feel like completely different. Like one is so creative and abstract and the other is so concrete. So are you one of these people that likes math and enjoys math, obviously? I barely passed in high school. I'm not even sure if I did. But when I went to college, not to a rec leader, when I went just because I thought I was supposed to go back to college a few years later, not knowing what I was going to do, I fell in love with calculus. A good teacher, I guess, is magic. Yeah. However, I think I'm equally left and right brain. So that's part of it. And to me, calculus is play. It's a puzzle. Now, don't put me in front of a calculus problem right now, because this was a while ago. But it was play. And I just enjoyed it. And I think because I had such a challenging experience with it as a kid in high school, I could envision myself taking that subject. And I've always loved teenagers. And I've always loved teaching. And I, I considered that path. But I didn't follow it. 
Interesting. A, a, because my kid just loves calculus for that reason. She's, she just loves it. She's, it's just like another language. You could just move stuff around. And B, because I had that same experience in high school where I just sucked so bad at math and it was awful. And then I went back as an adult to go get my science degree. I wanted to upgrade and do all this stuff. And I got this amazing teacher and I was like, oh my gosh, I like this all makes sense now. It's so clear and it's so simple. And you just get just like you're seeing it all through through completely different lens, which it sounds like it happened to you. So that's just great advice for anyone out there that thinks I'm no good at this. You don't actually know if you're good at this until you've had someone explain it to you in a different way, right? Maybe because we all learn things differently. My brain needed to process in different ways. Exactly. And you were getting this information at a different point in your life. And I was a pretty different person in grade 11 than I was three, four years later in college. So I was in college pursuing that path. And this is a cliche part of it is I was I was in a house fire. And I escaped, but one of my friends did not. And one of my friends died. And it was a pivotal time in my life, obviously. And I really struggled. It was, there was a lot of press around the fire. I remember escaping the house and press was there. They were a musician that was a little bit prominent in Vancouver. And so we had a lot of press around it and hope like most people probably. And I went through the motions of going to school for a while. And then I dropped out and I was a bartender one of the best jobs ever. I still dream of being a bartender again. I also was a bartender for a short time. It's such a great job because you learn about so many different types of people. Mm -hmm. And I would always been photographing in this time. And many of my friends were musicians and I was not a musician. And my way into that world was the camera. So I was photographing a lot of live music and bands. And then when the fire happened and I hit some rock bottom, I think it took me about a year and then I went photography is my path and I started, I think I was working three jobs and mentoring and assisting with other photographers and Mm -hmm. ended up going to photography school. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Pivotal moment, obviously, but so it Mm -hmm. took you some time and then obviously figured out this is what I really want to do. And so off to photography school and then did you immediately become self-employed? Like you're a freelance photographer now? Did you find the kind of genre that you wanted to go into or did that take a little time? It took a lot of time. I went to photography school to be a commercial product photographer. All my work before I went to photography school, volunteering with this was very strategic. And I worked with some phenomenal Vancouver photographers who were photographing products, cars, drum kits, coffee. That's what I wanted to do because I loved crafting life. And that came from my mom, who was really known for her ability to capture light in nature photography. And so I went to photography school, but because probably my mom was a photographer, I knew that it was a long shot to make a living at it. So I was really, really invested in my learning at school and I took every opportunity. So I put my name forth for a photojournalism intern and I really knew nothing about photojournalism. That's the shocking bit. I was like, how did I not know about photojournalism? So for listeners who don't know what photojournalism is, how is that different from regular photography. Can you just touch on that for one second? Because I'm drawing a blank. I'm like photojournal. Is this like Time Magazine? Is that what you mean where you're telling a story? Yeah. 
Yeah. So photojournalism is, is storytelling and having your photos in the newspaper or in magazines. And now the internet, um, of course, I put my name in for a photojournalism internship. I received it because they knew I would represent the school, not because I had any skill in photojournalism, because it's not an area I'd nurtured or spent much time noticing. But suddenly I found myself in Alberta covering Safeway strikes, anti-Semitic protests, cabs being born. Like for as a city kid, that was amazing. Yeah. And I remember, though, what really struck me was something not glamorous. I was sent to photograph the woman who grew the biggest zucchini. Ha! Interesting. And I was frustrated because I wanted to be where the action was or in the hockey arena capturing sports. And I was like, yeah, of course, they send the intern. And I had a super bad attitude. It is one of the most important days of my entire career, if not life, because I met that woman in her zucchini. And I'll just say I took a really bad photo. Like, I remember it. I wish I still had it. It is really bad. Like a woman holding a zucchini. And it mattered to her. Yeah. And she felt seen. And I saw her. And we connected. And I started to notice how it's the little fabrics of our lives that really matter. It's not the grand, splashy events. It's the little things. And I saw the beauty in them. And I fell in love with photojournalism. So I came back from central Alberta and started training. I was like hanging out with all the photojournalists in town, doing what we call ride along, paying for their coffee, helping where I could, studying. And then before I finished school, I got a job as a photojournalist in the Sea to Sky Corridor. Okay. Okay. And it's funny how those little moments that you think are so mundane or this little thing that's, that's not even a thing is that thing that actually opens other doors for you or turns, lets you see the world in a different way. That's awesome. And so now you're obviously you're a freelance photographer. You do more than just photo. It seems to me you do a lot of environmental portraiture also. Yeah. Yeah. I did step away from photojournalism when I moved to the island. I was ready to step away from it. Some of it's really hard and the work culture no longer suited me. But while I was in photojournalism, I slowly started to build my own business. And I'm from a family of entrepreneurs and business yeah. owners. And again, if that's that other side of my brain. I love a good spreadsheet. So I moved here and started building a business. And really, I'm a portrait photographer. I'm a wedding photographer. I'm a commercial photographer. But what I am is a people photographer. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell anyone that hasn't been photographed by Karen yet, but when you get photographed by Karen, like you really feel like you're really connecting with that person. Really, truly you feel like you really got to know you that day on a deeper level. And you really care about what, what is your end goal here? What do you want to do? And, and you feel like you've actually really had a deep connection. Clearly you're, you're very passionate about that and, and you're able to do that. What's your favorite thing? What do you love most about it? Is it those connections, those relationships that you form? I'm so chatty. I'm rarely speechless. But when you ask me that question, I have a, like a full body emotional. And this year, what I love about photography has just meant so much coming out of this pandemic year. What I love about photography, what I completely get out of it, it helps me make sense of the world. It helps me be okay in the world. Yeah. But what I love about it is... Just watching and seeing, yeah. just really seeing people. 
and seeing, yes, knowing them and yes, connecting. But if I'm really seeing them, I'm, I'm connecting and making people feel good as well. What a wonderful thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like that's what you got at that, that first zucchini photography and you just carried it all the way through, continued to search for that. And really that's what people want is to be seen and to be heard. Am I heard? Do I matter? And you get to do that. So what a gift. Do you have a least favorite part of your job or what's, you know, the pain point, the struggle, the thing that you're like, ah, if I didn't have to do this, it would be so much better. Data management. Interesting. So as digital photographers, we're data managers. So keeping track of that database and it feels to me like you have a bit of a marketing background in there somewhere too. Like you've got some skills in that area because you often have cool (laughs) suggestions that things I haven't thought of, or you could try this or what about this? So do you have any formal education in marketing or is that just something you've picked up along the way? I do not have any formal education in marketing. I grew up with parents owned businesses. So I've just always been around it. And I've always just uh, had an inclination towards it. And for years through my career, I've been a teacher as well at colleges where I taught not just photography, but I taught business planning, particularly for creative. So I've continued to to uh, self-educate. Yeah. And And that was actually my next question is I know that you've taught photography at NIC. I assume you've taught at other places, also taught business management. I know my daughter goes to a fine arts school and you went in one day and spent the day with the kids and they really enjoyed that time. Are you still teaching as well now? I feel like you you wear a lot of different hats. I taught my last course at the beginning of the pandemic. And right now I don't teach. It's not on the radar for the next few years, but who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the next question, but like a, like a true juggler, a person that wears a lot of hats, you actually went back to school a few years ago, got your master's degree. What was your master's in? That, that just seems like I, a huge undertaking. Well, also uh, running a full-time business. Let's just be clear that it wasn't like take a year off and do this. I completed my master's of communication. I'm just going to be honest and say, I didn't even know that was a thing, <laughs> right? Till I was like, I think I want to go back to school. And I found that. I don't know how I didn't know that was a thing. I always thought a master's of communication was just, if there was a degree out there like that, it was more like a master's and it would be about PR. And a master's of communication isn't really about PR. It has that component. But it's about how we receive and give communication and what that means. Yeah. And it was one of the greatest joys of my life. Yeah. And how you, how that adds value in, in every area, right? Like in your community and your personal relationships, there's just so many areas that that can add value. And how long did that take you? Like how much extra time did that, did you have to dig it into that for? It was a two-year program. I had to do a preliminary course on academic writing because here's the thing. I dropped out of my undergrad and went to a photography school that was a diploma program. So okay. I challenged my way into the master's. That's maybe why it took me a while to find it. I was poking around finishing an undergrad. And then I just found this master's of uh, communication. And it was like, there it is. And then I had to write letters to get in and provide references so you can challenge your way in based on yeah. other experiences. And then the program itself was two years. And it was primarily remote with about five weeks with a cohort, which as an adult was an incredible experience. There was lots of learning. There was some rum drinking. There was some nature walks. 
there were some fears, all of it. So I loved it. And then I completed my uh, master's and my C within those two years. That was part of my plan. And so how did you figure that out? Because you're a parent, you're trying to run a business, you're going to school. It's a lot of balls to have in the air. Did you come up with strategies for that? Did you block off time? Did you like just go into hibernation? Like, how did you push your way through that? Because I remember being an adult trying to go back to school too and with young kids and a job. And I I was just all the time, I was like, oh my gosh, like I just, I'm just drowning every day. Those things you mentioned, I did all of them. How did I make going back to school work? One of the wonderful things about my life is that I love everything I do. Yeah. Other than housework. I don't love housework (laughs) very much. Not my strength. I guess that was one of my strategies too. Housework became not that important. Yeah. I love to cook. I sat my kids down and I was like, you guys, the nutrition's going to go downhill. The choices are going to go downhill. And they actually said that I cooked better and more during my master's because you might've heard the term procrastinating. I have not, (laughs) but I'm going to use it now. Yes, I'm a procrastinator. And it became, cooking is always a grounding activity for me. I lowered my expectations. I lowered my quality time that I would have with family, knowing that what I was role modeling for the kids was super important. Yeah. And I brought them into my schoolwork. They edited my papers. Yeah. They were phenomenal. Yeah. I also asked my family for a house cleaner as a birthday gift. That was a big one. I went into full hermit. Like I pretty much sent my friends an email. Please keep inviting me. I probably won't come, but I'd really like to feel like you still remember me. Yeah. And I'll see you in two and a half years. Yeah. And did I lose some personal relationships during that time? Yeah, maybe one or two, but it yeah. is what I had to do. Yeah. And I became quite structured. Yeah. And then I'll say the number one key to my success was a local library. Interesting. I spent so much time at our local library and there were no distractions. And it was my time. So I learned to become very efficient and work within my flow. And between three and six, I know that I can barely get anything done effectively. Yeah. So I didn't try to do work then. Yeah. I don't know. It's all still a bit of a blur, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's good advice for anyone though. Like I'm always struggling with where to fit things in and I've come to that same realization that there's certain hours of the day where I'm just like, stuff is just not going to get done. So I either need to get up earlier or I need to work later after people go to bed. But if I'm trying to work when everyone wants and needs my and deserves my attention, stuff is just, it's not going to happen. And then they're going to get resentful of me. I'm going to be resentful at them. I like, I am resentful of myself, but like it just, it goes sideways. But now that I've been able to go, okay, from this time to this time, like, just don't even try Like, just don't go there. This is not the time to try and do that. And there's other times of the day. And sometimes like stuff just has to slide a little now, like literally for the first 16 weeks, every podcast was Friday and no exceptions Friday. And today is Friday. And that sucker's not going to go till tomorrow. And that's okay. The world will not fall apart if this podcast is not this one. Last week's podcast doesn't get edited and doesn't go out till Saturday. It's more important that I spent that time with my family yesterday than sit in front of my laptop editing a podcast and it'll happen when it happens, right? You said two really important things there. One, when you were talking about when your family's swirling around you, family transition times are impossible to get things done. 
mm-hmm. right? When your family is yeah. transitioning, that's at three and five, home from school, yeah. dinner. It might be different for every family. And then, you know, what you said about the podcast being late, and please take this with the heart I went with. Somebody um, once told me we're not as important as we think we are. Yeah, no, it's true. Like, who cares? Yeah. Nobody yeah. other than you cares that it's later. And that's also something that I learned during my time in school and that I'm still learning. We create these fake deadlines and fake pressures for ourselves all the time. All these I need to. What if you don't? Exactly. What if you don't? Like what, what really is going to happen? Danielle Dobson wrote The Gender Code. She was on the show a few weeks ago. And one of the things we talked about is this need to do that final 20% to make it perfect, that you can actually do 80% of the work in 20% of the time. And if you just stop there and said, you know what, this is actually good enough. It's the other 80% of the time you spend putting the little bows and not like the metaphorical bows and ribbons on stuff and making it perfect that nobody but you actually cares about or actually sees. It frees up so much time for you and space in your head too, that you're not spending. Nobody gives a crap if you reread your essay 20 times. Like if you did it 10 times, that's good enough. A hundred percent. It's actually on my whiteboard. I have this whiteboard in my office that, and it says, is this an 80% job? Nice. So where, cause I think one of the keys to my success in business is to know when 80% is enough or when I have to go to 150%. Yeah. Or yeah. Maybe not have to, but really want to. It'll be fulfilling to me. And so I actually ask myself that question often as I write my to-do list. Where do I have to spend a little time stuck in some perfectionism? And when do I just have to do good enough? Yeah. And when is this holding me back? And when is it actually serving me? Like when it, when is this a time that I really need to spend this time on it? And usually that's the time that you're actually getting something fulfilling out of it. And you're enjoying that time, not doing it because you feel an obligation to do it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's great. Not So just moving on from this. So not long ago, you took a position with Habitat, still keeping your business. So do you want to tell me a little bit about that? It seems like a huge leap, but also something really cool that you're obviously very passionate about and a chance to do something in your own community that you're excited about is seems like an amazing opportunity. Yeah. So when I finished my master's, I did actually enter the workforce as well as running my business. I just kept it very quiet. That was about three years ago because yeah. I was protecting my business and I, I didn't want people to think I wasn't running my business and I didn't want to hold public space to talk about this, these other roles. So I did numerous other roles and then I found Habitat and I'm in complete alignment with Habitat and I'm in total alignment with my business, which is partially a huge part of why things work for me. So at Habitat, I'm the director of family services. So my role there is to recruit, select, and support families and support the initiatives and tasks of the rest of my team members in different departments. It's a very robust job, and it's a wonderful role. I work with a wonderful team who are serving a really important mission to put people in affordable, stable, safe housing. And we're here in British Columbia and there's an incredible housing crisis that extends outside of BC. And we're all really committed at Habitat to helping make people's lives better through stable home ownership. And 
you're someone who's always been in the community. So just it's just you just stepping in a little bit deeper really is, is what you've done. And to be able to know that you're making a difference in that housing crisis and, and making a difference in people's lives is, is pretty phenomenal. Yeah, it's a really fulfilling role. Like, Monica, I can't tell you how grateful I am. I yeah. actually took my resume into Habitat. I was working in a, a corporate role, which was good, but it wasn't where I was supposed to be. And I knew that. But remember, I hadn't really been employed for 20 years. So it took me a while to figure it out. So I was like, maybe this is just what employment is. And maybe it's not for me. And then I thought, no, I'm just not in the right role. I brought my resume into Habitat. They weren't hiring. And I just said, I just think I want you to know that I'm interested in, in learning more about what it would be like to work with you. Yeah. And so many people just knew me as a photographer, but even during my you know, years running my business, yeah. I've done other consulting work and yeah. continued to grow and learn. I mean, two months later, they called me and they said, we just have a position that became available. Do you want to just come in and let's just have a conversation? I love that. And since that day, I, there hasn't been a day I didn't feel them in alignment. Doesn't mean there's not hard days. Yeah, but I love that. You open that door and walk through it. And, and what do you know? There was actually something really amazing on the other side. So working for Habitat, running your own business still, did you have to implement some new systems and processes? Did you have to scale back? Did you have to be like, okay, I'm doing this, but I'm not doing this? Because I'm that person too. I'm at the vet clinic. I'm a mortgage broker. I got trying to balance two different clients from total, like different clients from different industries, different schedules. And there is that balance too. I've got to want people to feel like I'm neglecting this because I'm doing this. Did you have to change things up? Did you scale back? Did you? Oh, a hundred percent. At the same time I moved into Habitat, I'd had an office uh, manager uh, for a few years and actually for many years in my business. So at that same time of moving into Habitat, I moved towards not having an office manager. So it was like I just threw it off. I was going to say, you just jumped in the fire then because you'd think that would be the time you need the office manager the most. A hundred percent. But I had been working to transition for two years quietly when I was quietly working other work. And I had my office manager then and we were setting me up to be able to manage on my, but it really still needed some work once I jumped into it. We didn't, can't really anticipate what it's like. So I'm really into systems. Yeah. I'm into having really strong systems and still being very flexible. So I set up systems using apps such as Calendry and other online systems. And I really went back to looking at my business from a client perspective and said, okay, we know what it was like to contact McKinnon Photography before. What is is it going to be like now? How can I still provide the customer care that people have expected from me and that's been part of my success also changing things and so I really just created like a flow chart on how I would lead them part of that leading now is really transparency with my clients like I'm going to be there 100% for your shoot I'm going to be there for you before your shoot to set us up for success I'm 100% going to deliver on time in the images but I'm probably not going to reply to your email within the day yeah. My email signature says, I'll reply within three days. If it's time sensitive, call me on myself. Here's the thing. Like you, me, many of us are not providing life-saving medicine. It's okay if I wait three days 
to call someone back if I'm managing their expectation and providing leadership on how we're going to communicate exactly. from you the beginning. That, yeah, you've set that expectation up front. It's not like they've sent you an email and it's gone into a void and there's no response. They're, they're getting a response that says, this is when you can realistically expect a response. And by the way, here's the link to book. So I like that you walked through your client's shoes first and went, what is this journey? Like, what's my customer journey going to be look, look like? How can I map it out? And then still carve out something for myself out of that. I don't know if you've still got it, but the auto reply that I got a few months ago was during COVID, I'm spending more time walking in the woods. I'm spending more time with my family. You didn't just say I'm going to be unavailable. You made it clear that you have a life too and and that you're definitely available in an emergency, but that that I'm also providing myself some self-care at this time. Exactly. And as a creative or really any profession, don't you want the people you hire to be well? Yeah. Right? I want to show up 150%. And that means taking care of myself. And it's been so interesting when people hear that, they're like, good for you. And I've had so many people who tell me, they're like, can I have a conversation with you about how that's working? Because I think I want to implement that. Because as most people, the top 10 things about their professional life, and I'm thinking email's not going to be in many of those people's lives. And there's so much we can do to guide our clients by creating systems that hold us accountable. And still, and still guide the client. What I'm fortunate for is I've created a, a brand that's really genuine. Yeah, yeah. By setting that space right away of saying, this is who I am, this is how I work, then people say, awesome, this is who I am. Yeah. And this is what works for me. And then we either have a great connection or maybe we don't, and that's okay. And then maybe we don't work together and that's okay too, because yeah. I'm not going to be for everybody. Yeah, and they get to feel safe being who they are. And yeah, and I did this year too. For years and years, I worked every weekend, every Christmas, like I'm available if you need me. And and this last year, it's like, I'm actually going to take weekends off now and I'll check my email Friday and I'll check it again Monday. And if there is an emergency, the front desk can reach out to me and, and I'll totally be there for you. But I'm not going to answer your texts on Saturday or Sunday. I'm just not going to do it. And because I'm spending time with my family, not because you're not important. And it was just a way I worded it. And same thing, I expected all this push pushback from clients and it wasn't. It was like, oh, good for you. And for me, the way I explained it to them is I either need to do this or I need to not do this at all. So if you want me to be available to you, I can be available to you fully through these times, or I need to step back and not do this at all. So what would you prefer out of those two options, kind of, right? Exactly. And you know what? You said something good there. Like you said, use the word important. You said it's not because you're not important. It's actually the opposite. It's because we respect our clients. It's because we respect other community collaborators that we work with that we need to take time for ourselves to be well or take time for other projects. So I'm very upfront with my uh, clients now that I have two careers and it is really wonderful and I love shooting. I think I've fallen more in love with photography in the last few years, actually. And then I also provide them with systems. It is still very hard to say no. And I do get overbooked. As we're right, we're having this conversation in the summer where everybody says, oh my gosh, I didn't schedule my session. The summer is contacting me and yeah. that online calendar link that you and I had shared when yeah. you were booking, there's no spots in it. There's no spots in it. But then of course I could bend the rules and that's really hard. And that's just going to take practice. But often if I do add something, then I say, where can I make my life easier? Where can I bring in support elsewhere? My bookkeeper is doing more than she would usually do right now because I need, we need to bring in reinforcements. 
Yeah. And and if you're burnt out and you're frazzled and you're exhausted, you're not actually to be fully present for those clients that you are serving and you can't serve them properly. So sometimes it's better to serve less people well than to just try to do a mediocre job with everybody. A couple of <laughs> quick questions. Biggest pivot through COVID question I ask everyone, whether that's personally or professionally, what do you think that pivot was? And and most people have a silver lining, even if they got to go digging for it. Do you have any thoughts about, about what that was for you? This was an interesting question for me. What happened to me in COVID is my business completely shut down. Emotionally, I was really clear that all I cared about was people being well. I spend a lot of energy, as did other wedding professionals, working with our wedding clients to reschedule, to reassure, to interpret public health orders. There was a lot of unpaid work that happened for all wedding vendors. For me, the process was quite beautiful because all those people are getting married now and our relationships are deeper. So it reaffirmed me the type of relationships I want to have with my clients. It also brought this really incredible gift. I, over the last few years, have been photographing tons of high school grads. So I love teenagers and that's something I've always done a bit of. It's never been a big market in Canada and it just blew up for me in the last two years and I'm already taking a wait list for next year. And it is, you're just out chasing rainbows with magical beings full of possibilities, Yes, all with really good sense of humor. And that was a huge gift to me. It also, like many people, I Experience, but it gave me the chance and the space to recalibrate, to get clearer on my boundaries, and for me, set up systems to support those. So that was really helpful. I was very thankful, though, that I had already partially career transitioned. So we had a lot of work to do during COVID at Habitat, and I put in more hours there and less in photography, and now I'm rebalancing it again. Yeah. yeah. So it really just affirmed for me what's important to me. Yeah. And, and that's what happens. Right? It, it really brings to the forefront the important stuff. Yeah. Last question, you know, that I give everyone, but if you could give your 10-year-old self some advice, if you told 10-year-old Karen, you had some words of wisdom for her, what would those be? This seems so silly that I didn't know this. And now I wonder if my kids know this enough, that I'm not my limited belief. Our self-limiting beliefs, it's interesting. They're so loud. They're like the loudest voice in the crowd. And yeah. I'm like, what? What the heck? Because they're the loudest voice in the crowd and they're always talking, I'm like, they're not good listeners. So what authority do they have to advise you if they're not good listeners? Because they're not listening to everything that's happening. They're just listening to your fears, the negative feedback, and they don't have all the information. They have a very narrow view and they become your guiding voice. Yeah. And I wish, I wish I knew that now better than I do. Mm -hmm. I'm still working yeah. on it, but yeah. I wish I'd started that practice of knowing when I was 10. And you know, I probably would have kept dancing more. I might have laughed more. I, who knows? I've had a great life, so I don't have any regrets. But I just wish we could inject that into excess. 
Yeah. In those young years. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I agree. Wonderful. Okay. That is a wrap. Thank you so much for joining me. That's it for this week. To get more information on any of my guests or to book me as a speaker at your next event, please visit jugglingwithoutballs.ca. And you would totally make my day if you left me a review or you sent me an email at monica at jugglingwithoutballs.ca and let me know what you got out of this week's episode. I'm hoping to read some of those reviews and some of those emails on future episodes. Have a great week, jugglers. 